Hello and welcome to Repertory Screenings episode 44. I'm your host, Adam, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hey, hey. And we're here to talk about movies. We maybe, maybe, fingers crossed, have our audio shit figured out. Let's hope. I would love for Destiny to just be able to listen to the us everything we say and contribute, and it'll be good. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Definitely. Um, who's seen a movie? Jackson, you're up first. Um, I've not seen a movie. Well, I've seen a movie, but it's, you know, it'll go on the other podcast. So I guess I haven't seen a movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's what I thought. Destiny, you've seen a movie. I've seen a movie. I ha- This movie is very, like, unreal to me because I have memories of hearing about it before it actually came out and i like don't understand how i was so wrong about the year it came out in but i watched guy madden's my winnipeg which i thought came out in the 90s but totally came out in 2007 well that's a a big difference in time right exactly but for some reason i like i thought i have memories of it being advertised but maybe that was in 2007 and i just wasn't paying attention my memory is bad i don't know your memory Um, is bad this is true yeah it's really bad uh i don't know like i have a grandma with dementia and uh i do a lot of bad things to my brain so (laughs) it could be one or the other that's gonna get me um anyway so this movie is a sort of documentary, sort of biography, autobiography of Guy Madden's life in Winnipeg, where he was born and raised. Uh, and it's also about this this sort of um, dream of a city and how you remember it. And it's done in this very, like, surrealist style. There's, like, frozen horse heads peeking out of the snow and people... Uh, a museum that moves around every time the building goes bankrupt and just like interesting things about a city. I really liked it, but it, I, uh, it was very hard to like hold my attention cause it's a kind of a slow movie, but I, I did enjoy it. Uh, we also watched Mortal Kombat. I don't know how much I have to say about that other than it was bad. Uh, just like you, I talked about it on another podcast, so I don't really want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> okay, I was like contemplating it because it, you know, was coming out and this video game movie I should be theoretically interested in, and then within two days, I was like, ah, I can't be bothered. <laughs> it it just, it just, uh, it wasn't. No, I liked I, it, but it wasn't good. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it's just um. I wish the script was better. Like, I think all the... I don't think, like, any of the actors are particularly bad. I just think, like... And the movie looks bad, but in the same way every movie looks bad now. Um, I just wish it wasn't written so poorly. Uh, yeah, I don't... the uh, lament of modern blockbusters. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's not even modern blockbuster. That's the thing. It's like a cheap movie that really wants to be a blockbuster, which is the worst thing to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it makes sense because it is a Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> yeah, like a hard R Mortal Kombat movie, right? Like, right, yeah. Um, it does. It does kind of bear out that if if they let the Marvel heroes say fuck, the movies would be ten percent better just across the board. That makes sense. Um, well, 
I agree theoretically, but uh, I don't think it would make like the Iron of the Galaxy better. In fact, I think that would be no. But if Iron Man just told Spider Man to fuck off, it'd be better. (laughs) That's true. That's true. They'd get one laugh and then overuse it for a decade. (laughs) That's true. They would do that. Um, I watched Breathless, uh, the 1960 Godard film, uh, that we talked about last time where I was like, I should watch a bunch of Godard and I gather a bunch of Godard, watch exactly one film and that's how (laughs) it's been. But you know, that's fine. If I could do one of these every podcast episode, then I'm motoring along. Um, I've seen Breathless about three times before, um, and didn't like it. I, I liked it a little more this time. I think... Um, kind of understanding what I was getting into and being a little more accepting of like, I, Breathless is a movie about people I deeply don't connect to, but it's fine because it's a movie about alienation and how different people's alienations can like really not gel together like you can both be people who are drifting through life not sure what to do and ready to die and it just not connect at all um like uh the guy is ready to doing that in like i'm gonna be a humphrey bogart and go out big like he's one of those guys like if i lived to 27 i failed uh kind of motherfuckers that you everyone's new in their teens um and she's like i like the danger until it shows up and she's like you know actually i'm fine just being like the american who doesn't actually go here (laughs) Yes. Um, and watching those two like in like be pulled drawn together and then bounce off each other like really catastrophically is is good. Um I enjoyed that part of it. That's not like the greatest movie in the world, but um you know, I enjoyed it a lot more. I think it, I think it's like places like a bastion of cinema is uh, overstated, but that's uh about like place and time more than it is what the movies are. Always is. Uh yeah. yeah. Like yes, because like, I watch Brothers in the context of my like um film teachers telling me that like after the 50s being so bad and stayed, this is the revolutionary movie that shook up cinema forever. And yeah. I watch it and I'm like, really? This one? Huh? Yeah, um, I also I also don't know how to edit a movie and could just make that my movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. Um, but in the context of just, you know, un- already knowing what Godard is, I'm sure it plays a lot better. Yeah, um... There's a, there's a movie of very much about, it's weird because like, I'm not sure how much, like, Godard's got his problems with women, but I think this movie's also about the way in which, like, men and women who buy into, like, gender roles grossly misunderstand each other and, like, poorly communicate. But also it's coming from a guy who has problems with women generally, so it's hard to, like, separate one from the other. But I do think the movie is doing things intentionally that some of his other work does not. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Intense, weird. Uh, All I think about that stuff is just like, oh yeah, I mean, it's obvious that uh, why you know he ripped us off for the end of Evangelion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, God, yep. Anyway, let's get into our movie. Yeah, Uh, our movie this week is Phantom Thread, the 2017 film. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, starring Dana DeLewis, uh, Leslie Manville, and Vicky Kripes? 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 I don't know how to say that. Uh, it's German, so I think it'd be Kripes. Kripes. Luxembourg. Okay, not quite German. But it's more... It's German. It's Germanish. <laughs> Germanish. Um, <laughs> Nobody tell me off. <laughs> Don't get the people from Luxembourg mad at me. Oh, yeah. All 700 <laughs> of them. None of whom listen to podcasts. Germanic. Germanic's the word I was looking for. Yes. I guess uh, Luxembourg's like right between... To... Yeah. Luxembourg's also right, think like, of it either. Near, you know, right between Germany and France, so... I guess it could go either way, but I'm fairly sure Kripes is the answer. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, God. Anyway, um, Jackson, do you want to summarize the movie? Sure. Uh, the movie Phantom Fred is about uh, the dress designer, aristocratic British dress designer, uh, Reynolds Woodcock, uh, who designs dresses for like super rich people's marriages, uh, their like affairs and occasions, right? Like if you're going to a big uh, royal affair of some kind, someone will come to Reynolds Woodcock and ask him uh, to design their dress. And he is a perfectionist. He's been designing dresses his whole life. Uh, it comes from like... Um, the way he's haunted by his mother and his own family, it's deeply personal to him, and uh, he is this, like, auteur dressmaker surrounded by a work staff, and Cyril, his, like, um, number two in this, like, partner, but business partner, uh, who, like, manages him and manages his uh, uh, proclivities, but also ensures that he gets the work done, and... Um, you know, he's introduced dismissing her, uh, his last, like, uh, partner who has grown tired of this lifestyle and he has grown tired of her. And this is the story of him finding a new woman uh, to uh, seduce and bring me into this life. And it starts fairly normally, as we would assume, for, like, you know, we haven't seen other cycles, but he seduces her, uh, brings her into the, like, you know, he's like finds her amused, starts dressing her, brings her into the production process, uh, and then uh, it stops being normal, and she uh, starts asserting far more influence than uh, the other, more like <laughs> demure British women that have just kind of been annoyed at him and gone, I can't believe you're doing this to be Reynolds. <laughs> uh, and she uh, starts um, like dismissing the staff to try to make him surprise him, and uh, he uh, <laughs> turns into a five-year-old child and throws tantrums at her. And uh, famously, the movie rotates on uh, her poisoning him, uh, which she does. And um, he falls in love with her uh, even deeper as uh, she gets to actually take care of him, uh, finally forced into a situation uh, where uh, he needs her in a, like, a real way. Um, and they get married and realize, you know, they realize how much they care about each other. He asks her to marry him. Uh, they do. And then they immediately, like five minutes later, start having tension again and bickering. And she, you know, goes out to a New Year's party and uh, he doesn't, he just wants to stay at home and work. And she doesn't give her the space she needs. And he starts complaining about her and is ready to, like, ask Cyril to dispose of her, even though he's married this one. Um, but she overhears and uh, then uh, poisons him again. And this time he knows exactly what's happening and he willingly accepts the poison and returns back to the state of needing to be cared for and uh, she makes him strong again and the cycle continues presumably forever. That's where this movie ends, uh, not with a conclusion, but with these two people in this endless uh, battle that is their romance. And that's the movie Phantom Thread. Yeah. Um, Destiny, you saw this movie when it came out. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Remember I remember those. those? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dragon uh, Ball Super Movie 2 coming next year. It's probably going to be the first time I go into a theater. <laughs> I'll, go, uh, I'll go for Goku. Go for Goku. <laughs> <laughs> that's my t-shirt. Arrow pointing down, I'll go for Goku. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to talk about seeing the movie in the theater. <laughs> yes, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, that was just really funny. Um, so when I saw this, I didn't know what to expect. The marketing for the film was very much like, tortured artist, will this woman be the one to 
get into his hard heart. <laughs> yes. That's why I didn't and see this movie, because I thought the trailer was, like, boring. I was like, how did how Paul Thomas Anderson make a boring movie? Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's the reason I went to see it, is because I am a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan, and I love when he works with Johnny Greenwood, the guitarist of Radiohead, uh, putting those movie scores together, and I've, yeah, I've just, I haven't seen a Paul Thomas Anderson movie I didn't like. So I went to see it with my friend Rhea of Badland Girls, and we were laughing hysterically by the end, and we were the only ones in the theater laughing. What and the this fuck? woman Yeah. And this woman came up to us after the movie during the credits. We were leaving the draft house, and she said, Thank you for laughing. I didn't know how to react to this movie. <laughs> It's not laughing at the bit where he's like, I, I, what have you done to my asparagus? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, yeah. Well, the, the scene where, uh, which wasn't funny, as funny to me the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, when both his sister Cyril and Alma are like. Oh, it's his sister. I didn't really. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're brother and sister. Um, anyway, so. That scene where the doctor comes and he calls Alma Mrs. Woodcock, but they're not married yet. And Cyril, Ms. Woodcock, just keeps answering his questions in unison with Alma. And they're just like doing this power play. That was way funnier on the second viewing than (laughs) I remember being in the theater. Yeah. Um, But yeah, this movie is like a really dark, twisted thing. And it's very, very funny. And I wish that there had been some way of marketing that without ruining the movies. Like, I guess it's, it's not quite a twist, but without kind of ruining the surprise of like the gear shift. What do you think? I mean, it's weird because I came to the movie. I didn't see it at the time, so literally every the all I knew about it. This is the movie where he she poisons her, him. She poisons him. Like every single oh, person you, about this movie. So you knew that, okay? Yeah, I, I yeah. Didn't know it, but I didn't know anything else. Like all I knew was this is the movie where the aggrieved wife's uh, poisons her husband. But it's also romantic when when uh, she does that. I gather from the tenor of the various posts. Uh, okay. And, is kind of how I came, like, uh, approached it, but not knowing what the story was or what the, like, premise was. Um, Whereas I had the complete opposite experience. And I would agree, it definitely stuck, because, like, the first half of the movie, like, oh, this is, you know, definitely, like, a movie about navigating being artists, and, oh, this person's muse wants to impress uh, him, and then he won't respect, you know, very staid and standard one of those. I was like, oh, this is what this one's about. And then it, like, very quickly, about 45 minutes in, stops being about that entirely, um, and becomes far (laughs) more about just, like, the the weird back and forth of their relationship, um, which... I don't know what to make of. I was I finished this movie. I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna say about this. Um, I liked it, but uh, <laughs> I, we watch a lot of stuff for our podcast that are very, you know, simple, didactic of stuff to say about politics. And this is far more nebulous, like just broken people trying to navigate each other uh, movie. Uh, and I really liked it, but I don't have like a conclusion. Fifteen minutes after seeing it, I um. I think this movie is very sweet and wonderful, and I would like anyone who wants to be my Alma to please send emails to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> well, I mean, I do think the woodcut's like the worst possible human being. Also, <laughs> I d- I deeply disagree. I mean, th- yeah, you're right, but also I-, I think all I think many people have their Reynolds inside of them, um, and the best thing you can find is someone who like is drawn to that, but also willing to like kick it in the face every time it gets too intolerable. Um, but not yeah. in a way that pushes you away, but in a way that brings you closer together. I just want someone who's willing to poison me to love me more. <laughs> I'm looking for that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to... Oh, go on. No, I understand. I'm just like the most... Uh, I deeply relate to Almond's movie, obviously. Um, as someone who just, you know, needs people to need them at all times. Uh, and so they're like back and forth of like... <laughs> the way the way I read the ending is, I guess, a bit darker than most people. Because... Uh, it's like, I don't know, I, like I said, it's all nebulous in the air. I, I really like this movie. Um, but it does feel like Reynolds somehow uh, being rewarded for like how much of a shithead he is. Like, his being a shithead is like a challenge, and he's finally found the person to meet it. Um, I, think that's, I think that's the appeal of, like like you know capital a artists right like the people who are drawn to them are drawn to them because they're tumultuous difficult people i also am drawn to difficult tumultuous people like i understand like absolutely i think there's that's the appeal and but the thing that's interesting to me is this movie's about how he is so locked into his own like trauma and childhood and like focuses and uh you know like uh piccadillo is about being like a very like you know everything must be just so person that even his wranglers find like, you know, uh, Cyril found him like, basically she just kind of let him have his way the entire time. Alma found him like incredibly difficult. And only when the two of them started like meeting their minds and like respecting each other, did they realize that actually he has no power over them at all. Yes. Um, they're the ones who are in charge because he's too locked into his own brain, but also he recognized like at the, that final scene where he's eating the omelet to him is to me is like him recognizing that he does not have to, like he can surrender that thing uh like the control to the women in his life and that they will they will manage him better than he can manage himself and um if ever he gets too crazy she's gonna knock him down again and uh he'll almost die and it'll be fine <laughs> yeah yeah i i think almost very strong i don't think she's broken i think she comes into that kind of like she knows who she is right away uh, yeah, I mean, it's different. It's weird because, like, the movie definitely is a conscious of her as, like, a, a, she is, like, I don't think they say, but she is, like, continental European, like, Eastern European, uh, and everyone is cognizant of her as both lower class and a foreigner. Um, and, like, it even comes up one time where the lady's playing, uh, backgammon with them is like, oh, don't, I don't mean to be racist, but isn't she off thieving in the night taking all your goods? Yeah. <laughs> um, and but she she does have like and i think the first part of the movie is about her like learning to navigate this like she cannot be bowed by like the manners of these people because they've allowed their manners to like overrule their better sense on how to handle this that's like why i think her and cyril get along because cyril's absolutely a person who's more interested in making sure everything runs smoothly than being polite i mean this is like extremely a movie right about uh the um as every single movie about, like, you know, Britain is, the, like, terrifying repression that is just everything about British aristocracy and social mores, right? Yes. Like, uh, 
one of the undercurrents of this movie um and comes up in one of the scenes where <laughs> reynolds gets really mad about the kids these days and their chic dresses is the uh woodcock is making like um traditional dresses right he is making traditional uh dresses for like british colonial occasions he is you know these are people going to the royal family these are not people going to like you know hollywood or somewhere right yeah um, so these are old world uh, occasions and aristocracy, and that is the like aesthetic language he lives in, and it is so suffocating to him that he can't even like enjoy New Year's. Uh, the scene where he like <laughs> is searching for her at New Year's, and he's like looking for her and is trying to dra- drag her away, but isn't really like it's a very ambiguous scene about what he actually wants here. But the scene where he like just looks over the edge and watches everyone else while he's just in this coat is like this guy has not he's nothing he's he's a nothing person shut in a room, um, and that's just what it means to be posh and British. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone see the movie Secretary? Yeah, I've seen Secretary. I've not, but I've you know I know of Secretary. I really like Secretary, and this movie reminds me a lot of it. Just the like trying to get into the good, not the good graces, but trying to understand a difficult man and what it means to love him. And I think very similar. I think Secretary. Uh, I think Secretary often. I I haven't seen it in a long time. I guess I don't. My memory of that is that it like gets muddled by the like weird cultural baggage around like bdsm stuff that this movie obviously doesn't have um because the the metaphor the metaphor of the poisoning is so much bigger um and out of the realm of like people's normal cultural understanding of what is like even acceptable like you know deviant behavior oh yeah 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 yeah. i just mean like the um, like the sort of relationship dynamic is Mm -hmm. similar yeah yeah but uh, Alma is much less like she's never a character with the the like uh, vulnerability of Maggie Gyllenhaal's character in that movie. Oh, I agree. Yeah, wholeheartedly. No, and I, I'm not comparing the two. Um, but yeah, no, uh, that stuff I think is it's interesting because like I knew what this I knew the plot of this movie because I people just talked about it when it came out as everyone does with every movie. So uh, I was fully aware of where this was going. I was just surprised by which like the like how much buildup there is to get there and how much it's just about the pressure cooker of people who are like, like you talk about this being like trapped in airs. Like everyone is, has to be their, their station. And that's true. But the thing I really like about Reynolds in this movie is he's a character who's just defined entirely by like one or two points of like childhood trauma and is never even attempted to climb out of that. Um, and how much it, it like affects the way he acts at all times. Like he is, he is just a, an arrested child the entire movie. It doesn't matter what he's doing. When he's ill-tempered, it definitely comes out. But even when he's like just going about his day, he is just like the toddler who needs everything. Like his carrots cut a certain way, or he's not going to eat them. Right? Like that's just his normal state of being. Um, and Cyril being willing to like accommodate that has just turned him into like this the, his worst self in a way that i think is like really compelling uh Deontay lewis is great in this movie i like him in general um i think he's brilliant and i um i think this movie is like one of his best that i've seen anyway and this is his last movie right before so retirement? far yeah he said he's yeah. retired but uh also he tends to do movies like you know it, there's been bigger gaps in his filmography between 2017 and now so 
Um, who can say? But if he did quit, then good for him. Like, you know, yeah. do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's he's fantastic in this. Uh, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> he, he manages to, like... Because it's basically an impossible role on some level in the... This is such a stock character of, like, the incredible artist that's also, like, a... Um, both socially repressed but also uh like um you know arrested development child inside right like mm. very stock character uh that they're, they're using here and he has to both put like play both of those very humanly and also make it like sincere that he actually cares when he's going through like the early parts of the story which i think is the most thankless stuff um, in terms of like the performance he has to give, right? Because we have to buy at the start of the movie when the their relationship is forming that he is earnest about this like seduction that's happening. Yet his um the the ways in which he ignores her needs are not caused by like maliciousness or uh manipulation right like the the she's super uncomfortable when cyril walks in in their first meetings like he's like uh being very uh, attentive to her and being like oh let's try our dresses and everything and cyril walks in and he starts taking um down notes and she gets like visibly uncomfortable because like this entire dynamic is not what she expected at all uh and um i really like the way that uh you know woodcock has to play it as like uh he doesn't see this he's just like doing his work and it, you know but um it do, it just doesn't you know i'm trying to i'm phrasing about it he doesn't come across as him deliberately doing this in a cycle that he does with all these women he seems earnest about it and that's like his fault right he can't not be earnest because he's a child everything he's doing is yeah uh, uh, the thing right i think this yeah. the thing i think is interesting is like how little this character is played as like a sexual being right like yes. Yes. they are in a romantic relationship that like seemingly has a physical side but it's not about that at all like the way when he invites her in to do the dresses it's because he finds her inspiring to make dresses and it's all about the work but he lives in a world where like a man like who is making dresses and going up to women and like measuring them is like inherently eroticized and he is just not that being and i think that conflict is like part of the appeal of that character yes because it'd be very easy to do the torture art of surgeon of this where he's a guy who like bounces between women because he's like sleeping with all of them and is like really seedy or whatever like i've i've seen that version of that character dozens exactly. of times yes, like millions of, oh yeah yeah the, yeah which is why uh, we see the trailer for this movie like the hell's he made <laughs> right yeah not again um but it's not that at all it's yeah uh <laughs> the fucking scenes where like the repeated scenes in the breakfast room well, he's like, I'm trying. I must have my breakfast correctly. You're making too much noise. I don't have time for a confrontation at this hour. Uh, the one I like is when they're on their honeymoon in the Alps. They're like sitting outside on the balcony, and it's still like the most like loud foley of like toast scraping possible. Yes. <laughs> so funny. It's good. I love that. Um, there's some beautiful breakfast also. <laughs> so I was like, damn, I love yes. breakfast. From the start, there's a shot of some pastries in the very beginning of the movie. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> I'm in for something sumptuous. Uh, he gets big breakfasts. I mean, I definitely get the implication from this that like he has breakfast and then he has food at other points in the day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe if he if he's not busy. <laughs> um 
Like, there's no real, like, you know, he sends everyone away, he has a staff, he makes some food uh, and everything, but we don't really have, like, dinner scenes in the same way, apart from the, like, bits where she makes him food, which are played, yes. they're not played for, like, and here's the grand dinner or anything. He, but, you know, he gets his breakfast and then he works, and he'll eat when he wants to, because his work is his life. Yes. Uh, the thing I think also is interesting about this is his staff is like a bunch of like, you know, older women who come in every day, clearly are like happy to work. They're very efficient at their work. And like none of his art, like high artist bullshit gets on them at all. Like he, they never project it onto like the staff in a way that's like really interesting to me. Uh, no, I mean, the movie's really aware of like what it is to have a staff. Yeah. Like they're him and Cyril both always like impeccably polite to the staff, right? Like, you know, they're always addressed by name. They're always like thanked and like asked how they're doing. Like they do their work very efficiently. It's always just the like emotional lives of the people on top that are the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which I think is just like really good and cognizant. Uh, Like, you know, it'd be very easy for him to just be a shit to everyone. And he's not, that's the thing is like, neither of them are mean spirited people to the people that are like in their lives in that way. Like uh, it's only, it's only when he's like in people that he sees as like equals that he acts like a ass, (laughs) like that doctor who he tells the fuck off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or they'll talk shit about some of the heiresses that he has to make dresses for. (laughs) Um, I mean, he definitely feels like, uh, a sense of safety from the ability to talk as like uh whether he is under certain social um statuses right whether he's talking to royalty or talking to uh the his own staff i think that is similar in how he like relates to it right the existence of class as a set of social rules yes. is very helpful for him regardless of which side of the equation he's on it's yeah. not really about domination it's about having like a set of um just aesthetic rules to live by in any given moments yeah so it's only people he sees as peers that he's just a total jerk to <laughs> yes <laughs> um which is good I, I like that a lot <laughs> and then the big one of the biggest betrayals in the movie which which is like one of the things that cements um him and alma as uh like more than just this is his like current muse right is when uh they go up to um uh what's her name one of the one of the clients i forget her name um barbara (laughs) and she's like wearing her his dress and she's drunk in it and she passes out and she basically like she's like wiping her mouth with the collar of it it's so gross yes it's awful (laughs) and he is so offended this is the thing that offends him most in the entire film (laughs) yes uh is someone betraying the like meaning the like social meaning of what it is to wear one of these dresses mm-hmm. and uh him and alma like team up and go like uh uh you know take it off her sleeping body uh much to the horror of her own stuff yeah and her son who like runs away as soon as he realizes what's going on cal cal and alma has that <laughs> hilarious line that's like it is no business of ours how she chooses to behave but she cannot behave like this and be dressed by the house of woodcock and storms off and he's so proud of her. like oh the way they walk off like holding hands and she's got the dress over her shoulder it's such a like weirdly romantic thing <laughs> i mean yeah it's basically forms the place of like the first kiss you know first sex scene right in a movie but it's yeah. through the lens of uh <laughs> coming to this understanding about the meaning of his work mm. mm-hmm 
Do we have anything else? I think I might be good. Yeah, I, I just, just I really liked it. Yeah. I love it. I I love how colorful it is. I love how the food looks. I love the acting. Just everything about this movie is just impeccably done. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'll say, I guess, like, um, I haven't read anything about this movie, but uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised how much after the first half it seemed to resist um, the sense of, like, uh, being a movie about Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I don't know how much it is, right? Uh, and, you know, every movie is about yourself in some way. Um, but there's a lot of movie like this movie comes out the same year as Mother, which is like an is that Aronofsky. I think it's Aronofsky. Yes, yeah, it's Aronofsky. Yeah, it Literally making a movie about what it's like to be married to Darren Aronofsky's, uh, you know, genius minds. Yeah. Um, and this falls within that genre, which you know, a lot of uh, auteur type filmmakers do end up making movies about like this same thing through this metaphor. Uh, but it really sidesteps that as like its focus. It doesn't feel specifically indulgent even though you know uh, i'm sure there are <laughs> very personal elements in this movie with uh the way their relationship goes uh it could be you know this whole this genre of film can get very very fraud and annoying very fast yeah. it doesn't do that uh, uh yeah i mean i know he's uh, still happily married to my rudolph <laughs> i don't think they're married i think they just are together oh but they've got like four kids like it seems like they're just like chill He's rich. He don't need the tax breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they refer to each other as husband and wife, but I don't think they're married. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of like tortured genius movies that are clearly someone writing out their like self narrative, and yes. this definitely def- doesn't feel like that. This feels like something he just felt was like a fun story to tell. Absolutely. Which is like generally how I I think Paul Thomas Anderson's movies have generally been like you know he's one of my favorite directors uh, consistently so yeah same just I've always liked him. Um. Anyway, let's get to questions. If you'd like to questions. send us questions, you can send them to abnormal mapping abnormal mapping podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you can send them by anything, but I think all the questions we got today are about this movie. So I'm just gonna go down them, uh, and pick out everything. Uh, we've got one from Rose. Uh, I think goes without saying that Alma and Reynolds are pretty freaky. However, I absolutely love what this movie has to say about the culture belief in singular male genius, noting that Reynolds Woodcock's lifestyle and career are impossible without the women around him, his sister, the seamstresses, the housekeepers, his clients. Reynolds absolutely cannot see control or power on his own, despite desperately wanting to. He's a chronic micromanager. The scene where Alma drives after the fashion show is an act of service, but also, in my opinion, her taking control and Reynolds willingly giving it for the first time. Uh, the relationship's fairly toxic, but I can't help but love the romance and, dare I say, kink of the Boyfriend Poisoning movie. Which, yeah, big agree. <laughs> uh, Marin writes in, uh, I love this movie so much. What would you order for a flirty breakfast on the British seaside? What is your Hungry Boy breakfast? I mean, flirty is not, I would not describe my Hungry Boy breakfast as particularly flirty. <laughs> His was flirty, but... Ours well, would not be yeah, but I don't imagine if I ordered a bunch of pastries, any waitress would be like, damn. <laughs> damn, I'm going to hook up with this hungry, hungry boy. <laughs> um, anyway, what's your, what's your hungry breakfast? Any, you, you can be as decadent as you want. Oh, cinnamon rolls and yogurt and fruit and 
so much coffee just so much coffee pancakes oatmeal i think that would be mine oh i'm definitely getting pancakes you know i'm getting pancakes mine is just carb city carbs and fruit yep i think mine would be a biscuits and gravy with corned beef uh with hot sauce and a blueberry muffin with butter and probably sausage links on the side um and milk and orange juice and coffee all three yeah you could pull off ordering this (laughs) i've seen you order this i've seen you full disclosure uh, em and I live together. I've seen him order these breakfasts. I have not ordered this exact breakfast because it's hard to get brisket gravy and corned beef at the same order. But uh, I've done similarly. Yes. <laughs> yes. You've done your best. Um, we've got an e- email from Alec. Uh, was wondering, based on filmographies, who you would consider your favorite American director to, to debut in your lifetime? Um, American director. You can. I mean, I'll extend this to any director if you want. Uh, uh, Alec picked uh, PTA, which honestly might be my answer. I don't. Uh... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a big Arnowski head, but I still haven't seen Mother. Um, but yeah, PTA is up there for me. If you'd asked me ten years ago, I would have said Tarantino easily, but probably not anymore. Doesn't even debut in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but mostly because I'm like, first of all, I'm uh, underseen on movies uh, compared to uh, Emma Destiny, but also, um, God, I don't know who like who are the more recent ones are. Like, I guess PTA is in my lifetime, and mm-hmm. I've, I've liked both both the films I've seen of his have been like excellent, but I've seen two films, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, I, yeah, I, I don't know who I choose only because of like circumstance. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, ba, 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 ba. We have an email from Alex who didn't like the movie. Uh, w- right, wrote to say felt like the uh, the dresses were bad, which I think is uh, not intentional. I think these are just mid-century aristocratic dresses, right? Like, I think the wedding dress is bad, but he knows it's bad. Well, the, her wedding dress, yeah, the one that he makes for the the lady towards the end. Oh, okay. Where he's like, it's not very good, and then passes out. I mean, that's just the most generic wedding dress imaginable. Yes, it really is. Like, the difference between that and then, like, the, like, waistcoat the um, Alma's wearing yes. is clearly intentional. Yep. Uh, the dress that they have when they come into that party that's, like, the mustard-like cape that she's wearing is so good. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh, I like the wedding dress. I just don't understand the bodice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's weird. Um, cause it's like one piece of fabric that's like, like pure unadorned white, just holding up like boobs. <laughs> it's like a boob plate, a, yes. a boob tray. I don't get it, but I like the lace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alex says, uh, feels like the movie lost the plot of putting, not putting designers on pedestals. Um, I think it's not necessarily about that. I think it's about reveling in the appeal of that sort of thing. Um, even knowing that it's bad. Like, there's no apologizing for Reynolds, but damn, sometimes you're just like, I am in, drawn into the gravity of a Reynolds. Me, every time Orson Welles has a video on Twitter of him just being the, <laughs> the biggest personality, and I'm like, I'd do anything to talk to that man. <laughs> I mean, that, there's a... Like, I understand you can make a reading of this movie of, uh, like, finding the... And there's parts of me that, like, you know, I, I, can, I can see it, right? Like, finding the ending a kind of, like 
actually the women in my life get to live vicariously through me being a child uh, but i also think that's like not necessarily there's not a very generous reading it's not where i'd like go i think it's like one you can make but i think it's also about like you know it centers alma so much i think it's far more about like her desires mm-hmm. um than his yeah so while i do think that's like a, a valid way to approach the movie i, don't, I think um you know there's so much worse in this genre that i would say that <laughs> this movie's got so much more going on than that Mm-hmm. Um, we have some questions from Tron. Uh, what are your thoughts on the soundtrack of this movie? Destiny, this is your time to tell you tell us about your favorite Johnny Greenwood soundtrack. Okay, Johnny Greenwood knows how to play so many instruments and knows how to just put a soundtrack together. He put his foot in this one. It's so beautiful. That piano is relentless. Um, my favorite Johnny Greenwood score has to be There Will Be Blood. Just because... It is unnerving in the way that Plainview is unnerving. And it it reflects that hard life. I don't know. Like, it's a very harsh score. But it's also got these, like, fleeting moments of just pure beauty. And I'm super into that. Um, What about (laughs) y'all? It's good. I uh, like this one a lot, um, but I like all of his soundtracks. I don't have like a particular one that I think stands out to me. Uh, let me go look at his. The Master uh, was very good. Um, the Master I want to rewatch because I saw it once in theaters, and I remember liking it, but not like coming away with a lot. The soundtrack um, specifically is what I'm talking about. The movie, mm-hmm. I still kind of find it hard to parse, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think I just miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's just true. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's next movie stars Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Wow. wow. what What's it about? It's about an actor who got an aspiring actor like in the 70s. Yeah, sure. Let's oh, go. This... Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um. Let me go back to the let me go back to the thing. It is called because it's already shot. It comes out the end of this year. Um, it is called Soggy Bottom. Um, it I'm follows a high school student becoming an actor in the 1970s. I'm for it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Tron had another question I wanted to read. Oh, uh, do you think Alma would not have married Reynolds if the circumstances were different? I feel like there was a lot of societal pressure for her to marry Reynolds and would have chosen not to marry him if that pressure wasn't there as hard. Uh, he asked her. I disagree that there was pressure. I think she wanted to marry him and she was waiting for him to ask and she had to poison him to get what she wanted. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely feel like he feels the pressure of like... You, he is too old to have like this woman like be part of his business. If he just wants like, you know, if she was just a side piece of one thing, but she's like getting involved in like the work. The scene where she asks, um, uh, or he asks her, her, her to marry him, is um, really good because she's like playing it up in a way that's really funny um Mm -hmm. and makes him ask like three times and like hesitates a bit and part of the hesitation is genuine because she's like shocked he's actually said something so on him but also she spent this entire movie needling him to try like to not just be like i'm very proper and normal ha 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 um and it's the moment where he finally you know after almost being killed by her (laughs) is able to do it uh and it's a really good scene i think yeah I, i think that was entirely her goal 
Um, we have uh, one final email from Joe uh, that is asking, or it says, uh, I'm a sucker for the Paul Thomas Anderson and movies with piano scores. I've held off of watching this because I wanted to just have a new PTA movie in the chamber when I wanted to watch it. Is there a movie any of you have not watched yet because you know you'll like it and you're just waiting for the right time? This wow. is me with every remaining Orson Welles movie. I haven't seen them all. Just, I want to, you got to stretch them out. They won't last forever. I've done this, this with a... one thing, and I regret it so much that I will never do it again, so. What was it? Uh, it was not a movie, but I was like, I'll hold off on watching K-On! Season 2, and now it's been five years, and I'm like, I didn't watch K-On! Season 2, I was what a moron move that was. So whenever <laughs> I do something, I'll just, like, do it now. <laughs> I haven't seen K-On! Season 2 either, and I don't know why. We I'm watched, waiting. like, four episodes. We could do that whenever you wanted, Dustin. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I have a lot of stuff like that where I just put it on the shelf, so I can't think of one specific thing. And I'm trying right. to think of something. I'm sorry. I can't uh, think of anything. We've been we've been holding off watching Police Story 2. We could do that this weekend. Oh, that Police oh, Story was fucking good. Yeah, I was just thinking about Police Story this morning because I was scrolling through the Criterion channel and Police Story is uh, in their featured section. And I was like, why haven't I watched the sequel yet? <laughs> Um, one more question. Which movie from Paul Thomas Anderson you uh, would you want to see directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and vice versa? Also, what is the worst movie for this exchange of films? Okay, I'm going to the list. Uh, I, my answer will be not having seen most of them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I'm going to be going off like Osmosis. Uh, but um, Osmosis Jones is not tricked by either man. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm gonna poison you if you're not careful. Um, the the best possible uh, Paul Thomas Anderson directed Paul W. Anderson movie is Mortal Kombat. Um, is I think it? you're right. <laughs> it might be Mortal Kombat. I mean, Paul Paul Thomas Anderson's Resident Evil: The Final Chapter would also be incredible. Don't get me wrong. Um, I would watch Paul W. Anderson's Inherent Vice. <laughs> I think I think the Paul W. Anderson one I think would be like most fun would be Boogie Nights, but it'd also be a disaster. I was gonna say that. I was gonna it say would... anyone but Boogie Nights is what I was gonna say. I couldn't. I didn't know how to feel. Um, the worst one is gonna be the Master. I I don't think Paul W. Anderson could handle the Master at all. It'd be a disaster. No. No. Uh, equally, I think that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Event Horizon would probably lose a lot of its charm uh, by being too serious. So, Paul Thomas Anderson's Alien vs. Predator. Uh, look, that movie's bad. I don't think you could. I don't think a director's going to fix that one. Are we keeping the same screenplays, or are he's like taking the concepts? I don't know. That's thinking too hard about this. Okay. <laughs> but if that's your answer, I'll take it. Uh, that's it. Again, abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Please uh, send us in stuff because uh, we love emails about anything. Next time, we are watching uh, Barton Fink, the Coen Brothers movie. Cool. It's good. I'm excited to rewatch it. Me too. I'll we talked about it last I time. We were watching it until I also you completely said forgot. it just now. <laughs> I wasn't gonna. I was. I was just gonna go with it, but uh, seeing as you admitted it, I'll admit it too. I forgot that we already decided that. <laughs> I'm we talked about hyped. it last episode. You're like, oh, we should watch that. And I was like, yeah, we should just watch it. We should stop waiting and just watch it. It's good. Oh, yeah, we no, did. This is, I'm just going to say it. This is one of my all-time favorite films. So <laughs> you know what to expect, I guess. Um, anyway, plugs, Destiny. 
at FridgeBuzzNow, which I don't really use social media, but if you're looking for me on Twitter or Instagram, it's FridgeBuzzNow, all one word. You're so offline. Uh, it's remarkable. I, I don't know why. For someone with two podcasts, it's kind of a bad thing to do, but I'm just offline and I'm okay with that. Um, and my other podcast is called Badland Girls. You can find it at Abnormal Mapping. Yeah. Jackson. You can find me at headfullsoff on twitter.com. I am, uh, unfortunately, extremely online. (laughs) Oh, uh, Yuko from Nichijo. Yuko from Nichijo, exactly. Right. I'm going to start making you introduce yourself as that on podcasts. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, uh, I am, uh, you can find the podcast we do at abnormalmapping.com. Bunch of cool podcasts there. Go listen to them. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being, um, and you can find all the pod. Or you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash normal mapping for one dollar a month. You get the Great Gundam Project, uh, where we talk about Gundam. We just finished Gundam X. Um, that episode will been recorded by the time this is out. Uh, it'll be out on Wednesday. We're going to be watching Endless Waltz and then Turn A Gundam. It's very exciting, so please check that out. For five dollars, you get Blockbusters, where we talk about a, a famous movie that kind of stuff that would not appear here necessarily every month, and mostly get real critical about it. Uh, we're watching Hot Fuzz probably next weekend. Be oh, that, my that's this month. We can do it anytime. Yeah. Um, and uh, that'll be out. And at Technology Get VoIP Life, where we talk about just random shit every two weeks. Our most recent episode is about action games and then the end of Giant Bomb. Well, not the end, but three major people left. So it feels a lot like an ending. Yep. So that's everything. Uh, movies, now more than ever. <laughs> Don't expect to like them.